This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well, although my shoulders are quite sore from the 19k swim at the weekend. Holy guacamole. I don't even know if I could ride 19 kilometres, let alone swim it. <laughs> we went from Aramoana to Vauxhall. Holy, that's impressive. I think it's How long pro- did it take? Four hours and 15 minutes. Damn. I think it's probably the furthest we're going to go this summer, so I can relax now. That is a good thing. What a nice way to end the summer. And not end the summer, just end the long swims, maybe. And <laughs> who, who are we introducing today? Today it is my great pleasure to introduce Steve Walker. Um, Steve is from Port Chalmers. He is a Dunedin City Councillor. He's um, on the Dunedin, he's the chair of the Dunedin Wildlife Trust Board. He's a quiz master. And I remember when I came down to visit you a few months ago, seeing all of the building work that was happening along the highway um, at Port Chalmers uh, for the shared cycle walkway. And I've just found out now that actually Steve is responsible for that. So that is incredibly impressive. Thank you, Steve. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Kiora, thank you. And that was uh, that was probably um, f- far too gracious. Um, lots of other people were, were involved in the in uh, getting the, the the completion of the cycle way up and running. So I was just just one of the the people probably being shouting loudest at the front. <laughs> so Steve, Quizmaster. So start of a ten. How was your bubble life? Now that bubble life has gone on for a year. Yeah, how was it? it sort of feels like it's happening again, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean to be honest, I guess I'm in the that group of people who sort of loved it, to be honest, um, at least for that relatively short time that it took place. I don't know, like many others, if I could have gone on ad infinitum, but um, I guess, and again, I feel, along with my wife, very, very privileged, actually. We live in a, a big house in gorgeous Kopitai Port Chalmers. We have, you know, we have a quarter acre, and we wisely, or we wisely built many, many years ago, a decking round our house, not with great foresight, you know, for, I guess, 18 years hence that I could act like a caged tiger and walk for hours and hours around my house continuously to get exercise. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I feel, I guess I, I juxtapose that comment with feeling eternally so- sorry for many of, many of my close friends who have, um, have multiple children and we're locked down in a bubble, trying to do their job from home with uh, with with rugrats running around and screaming. So we're, we're we're fortunate, I guess, in one way we don't have children, and we have a big house, and we could space out 
we're also fortunate we actually get on well together. I've been married. I tell many people this. They don't believe me. I've been married for 18 years, and I've only had three arguments with my wife, all of which she's won, actually. Um, so I've, That's probably I, because I it was your fault. The, um, I don't believe it was, but she convinced <laughs> me it was. So, um, yeah, so you know, we're, we're lucky. We, we have plenty of room to recreate and do those, do, 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 do those things. But as I say, I wouldn't. I don't know if I wanted want the lockdown to go on ad infinitum, but yeah, I had a great time. I discovered lots of things about. Uh, I've discovered I'm rubbish at making bread. Actually, I thought I'd be really good at it, and I looked at all these wonderful YouTube clips and did did everything they suggested and proudly put it in the oven. And yeah, it was bloody awful actually. What came out? <laughs> um, I also, I guess, I also discovered being a city councillor because we had to do everything remotely, and I definitely discovered how important um, it is to actually see the, the nuances of the human body and particularly look, look people into the eyes when you're, when you're making decisions because it, it all seemed a bit too dangerously abstract for me trying to make quite big decisions without getting, I think, what is a very nuanced view on things that comes through body language. Um, and I really discovered that, actually. I didn't realize how important it is to be up close and personal to people. And uh, I guess I finally discovered that I would be, I guess it goes back to my original comment, I'd be a rubbish prison inmate if I was sentenced to life. <laughs> I, just, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't hack it. So kudos to all those, all those people who have got a life sentence. Jeez, not for me. There was a, an amazing sense of community I remember on more than one occasion that, that that we stopped and talked from our safe distances yelling across the road of the people getting out and about in their local space. Yeah, definitely. I mean, are you specifically talking about Port Chalmers mm. and the West Harbour? Yes. Yeah, I mean, despite the, again, the sort of unfortunate position of being a city councillor was on those few occasions early on when I ventured out on my bike, um, you know, within the regulations, I certainly wasn't doing a Dave Clark, he wouldn't mind me saying that because I'm a good friend with Dave. But I was going extremely locally, and within a couple of hours, there was, a, was this sort of horrible diatribe on, 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 on social media. Steve Walker's been seen you know, trailing beyond Sawyer's Bay or Carey's Bay or whatever. But no, I behave. But you're right. It was, I think, I mean, I'm sure most people think their communities are, 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 are sort of the best when it comes to crisis, but I've always argued that there's something special about the West Harbour and it's, I mean, we're lucky here. We have a lot of competitive advantages in terms of having a port and a police station. And, and we have some, some people who have been here a long time and they just possess a tremendous amount of skills that I'm tremendously jealous of. Cause I mean, I'm just pretty rubbish when it comes to anything to do with survival. I mean, I don't, my wife tells me what goes on under a car engine. For example, I just I'm rubbish, but I'm always amazed at the capacity of people to cope in this part of the world. And I've always said if if we I didn't think it would be a global pandemic, but I've always said if we if we did have a, a sort of Christchurch type situation with the earthquake, we'd be in a really good spot here. Um, yeah. So, yes, Sam, that's, a, that's that's well noted, actually. I think you're, you're spot on the hit the nail. So you, as during the lockdown, you, the council moved to Zoom meetings, and you've talked a, a bit about that. How long did the did it did you get back to face to face as soon as you were allowed, or did it persist? Yeah, I mean, it just it just it was commensurate, obviously, with the levels, and um, uh, yeah. So when we moved when we moved down a level, we could we could go into meetings and um, 
and socially distanced, which I guess would be probably a wise way in the context of the Indian City Council to, to do it ad infinitum, actually. That's probably <laughs> quite a wise. Certainly, certainly would appoint things at certain councillors, but it wouldn't be a bad thing to, to have a bit of social distance. Um, certainly, certainly not referring to a recent incident which I had to break up an argument um, in council chambers. But yeah, um, no, it quickly got back. And I, get, I, I guess it was the, the, the problem there is like, and, and it remains a problem now potentially, because I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm certainly worried where we're going. And I just judge that from the fact that the announcement we had was at 7.30 odd on a Saturday night. And Jacinda's face, when she made that announcement, announcement a few days ago, just... I don't want to be purveyor of doom and gloom here, but I suggest there may be a bit more to come. And I'm sort of dreading going into another scenario with our long-term plan process coming up if the if the public can't come and, and front-face us. I think that'd be really worrisome, worrisome um, just for, for local democracy, actually. So um, I'm really fingers tightly crossed, actually, that we, 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 we get through this one. But I'm feeling, I don't know, I'm feeling a wee bit gloomy, actually. I don't know why. Just has something in the back of my mind. I, I, I don't want to use the term yo-yoing, but I can't think of anything better off the top of my head. But has the, the, the moving in and out of lockdown, which is understandably necessary, but has that affected how council, as in the council itself, but also the work that council does, has it affected that at all? Yeah, I mean, it, it has, but not to, I mean, not to a fantastic degree. Um, I mean, council, again, despite, you know, an, Ignoring those that read the ODT diligently and, and what a bad a bad news story. Our council is extremely well run, extremely well ma- managed, and that's both from a governance and an operational perspective. So we're and and I, and I think I mean that was borne out actually with the recent incident with the you know with the with the potential lead incident in um, in Wakaiti. I think the way we dealt with that was phenomenal, and I don't think many other territorial authorities would have coped with it. The way we did, and that speaks to the the talent of our operational side, from the CEO right through the e, the executive leadership team, and also from from our from our mayor and the governance team, and and that's putting all all party politics aside. I think we did really well, so I don't think it's affected that particularly. But my worry is that the public themselves won't be able to input to the most important process of the triennium in the way that would would be best for democracy, and that is being able to turn up in person and rant, rave, or applaud at the pats on the back. So that's my worry that that process will be upset. But in terms of the actual functioning and the operational side, I don't. I think we've coped really well, and I think we'll continue to cope. Well. Recently, I was um, <laughs> made a submission to the uh, Marty Ward's um, legislation change, and sat through two days of submissions from all around the country. And what astonished me was how incredibly rude and racist and awful people could be when they're sitting talking at a screen. Do, do you think that that would, do you reckon in your experience, would that have been different if they were actually sitting face to face with someone looking at their eyes, as you say? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got lots of theories on that. And I think I bear it out. And I mean, I, I, I can give you examples. I mean, yeah, I, I like most elected members, I get lots of crap sent my way, phoned to me, left in my pigeonhole, whatnot. But my response is always when there's an angry person um, who wants to have a go at me, I, 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 I say to them, stop, um, watch your number, 
are you free next week? Let's have a coffee. And I tell you, 99.99% of the time, when I'm sitting face to face with that person, we they they certainly aren't angry towards me. And a high proportion of the time, we sort out their problem and they leave happy. And I mean, I, yeah, you've heard this story before, but social media, particularly when people are sitting in the, in the later weary hours of the day and they've had a few few bevies, um, they they certainly will do do things that they normally wouldn't do. And I, I mean, yeah, and I think it's, the analogy I make is Kiwis and cars, actually, because I'm, I'm a big cyclist. I don't know if you, you didn't mention that in my introduction, actually. I've just, just won a competition with the Wildlife Hospital, and I've managed to cycle 1,118 kilometers just in the month of February. Um, yes, you look oh. astounded. But um, yeah, so it's the same with cars. So Kiwis, Kiwis, when they're driving, get really ragey. And I say that as somebody who was brought up or lived in London. My wife is from Los Angeles. And I actually lived for a while on Tahrir Square in the center of Cairo, a city of 20 million people. So people in those cities don't get very ragey in cars because they've worked out that for things to work, they have to be polite to each other. So lovely Kiwis who would, on another day, meet me in the street and invite me into the house and give me some kai and probably invite me to stay at night, will get so illogically mad when somebody just does the most innocuous thing in the car. I find it astounding. So, yeah, and I think that sort of feeds into the, the, the behavior of some of our population in, in this wonderful country of Aotearoa when it comes to social media and the things they were saying. I think a lot of people would probably be quite embarrassed by the things they have said that they probably don't realize they are saying. Yeah, good question. I'm going to put on your first of your music choices, Joy Division, Atmosphere. Why this one? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, uh, just, I was brought up, I mean, I'm an old, getting an, I'm an old man now, uh, I was brought up in the time of Joy Division. One of my great regrets is I didn't get to see them actually, but I did see, I did see the very first iteration of New Order, because New, New Order became New Order after Ian Curtis uh, committed suicide. Um, I've always loved this song. I guess it speaks to my, my sort of 80s existentialist angst, uh, time of Thatcher and impending nuclear conflagration. Uh, my father was in the Royal Navy, so I was always living on naval bases. And ironically, in the early 80s, I was living in a place in the east coast of Scotland, which was the nuclear naval base. And um, I always just get very worried when the jets would go over, thinking that the end of the world was nigh. So this song is, um, as you'll hear, folks, if you haven't heard it before, it's rather depressing. But it's actually the song I walked down the aisle to with my wife uh, when I got married 18 years ago. And I remember clearly to this day, my mother bawling her eyes out um, when um, this song was played. And I still, I mean, she's dead now, but I, I, I still didn't, haven't worked out to this day whether she was crying because she was so happy her son was uh, getting married to this beautiful woman or the fact that I was playing Joy Division. So um, it's an amazing song. And my wife is also under strict instructions that when I shed my mortal coil, that this will be the song played in my Cheery stuff, eh? <laughs> Silence Don't walk away 
Steve, we've seen lots of societal change over the last year. I have to stop saying the last few months and it's now a year. What do you think will stick and what do you hope will stick? Um, You mean as a consequence of the COVID-19 lockdown? Yeah. Um, Gosh. Um, Well, what will stick, what, what I hope will stick would be, I guess, and I think a lot of people spoke to, I mean, and I say this probably with my love of, the, the, the tongue of species in New Zealand and be, my role at the wildlife hospital is, I guess, that that environmental breathing space that I think was created. And I don't know, I'm still trying to work out if that was real or imagined, because I think you'll have heard a lot of people saying they heard more birds. They just, you know, but maybe that's because people were at home with less to do and they had more time to appreciate um, the wonderful environment that surrounds them. And I guess in, in our busy lives, you you, you probably don't, have the chance to have a, a, a cognition of that. Um, so that's one thing, and I guess and it's a, this is a hard one to, 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 to talk about, but I think it has to be talked about. And it's hopefully, I hope, and I, I say this within the context of feeling extremely sorry, not so much for the big international corporations involved in tourism, but for those people at the bottom, your maids and your chefs and your waiters who are paid terrible wages, in the tourist industry, but I really hope we do not defer back to that unbridled dependence on mass tourism um, with without getting getting fair value for it or or making sure that the the price of that is not 
it's not environmental damage and destruction because I think we were going down a down a really a really bad road there. And I, you know, and living in Port Chalmers, we're right at the we're right at the entry point for where you know hundred and odd cruise ships coming each year. And I and I, I know I know and respect Kevin Windows actually at Port Otago and the CEO there. And of course, he looks at it from the the income to the economy and his business, which is absolutely fair enough and understandable. But also, we've got to remember that New Zealand is one of the only two countries in the world that didn't sign up to the MARPOL agreement, which is is basically environmental protections uh, around uh, ships, what they can and what they can do when they're in your in the port. So we, along with Mexico, have really weak regulations around um, environmental pollution. So if we are going to go back to that world, which of course has benefits, um, like everything we do in life, I hope that we do tighten up the regulations around that. Um, yeah, and I guess final thing, I think, I mean, this will, many people will have commented on this, but it, it does, and I say this as a, ironically, I, you probably, I didn't mention earlier, but I actually ran for council as a, as a member of a, a political party, the Labour Party, of which I'm proudly a member, and there's two green candidates, including I'm there. But I probably argue I'm probably one of the strongest environmental voices on council. And I, I really think that what we did as a nation of five million, to use that cliche term, proves what we could do as a nation and as a world to fight uh, the climate crisis. Because whether we like it or not, um, this pandemic pandemic has, has wreaked havoc across the world. But the havoc that will be wrought by not doing anything about uh, climate change will will really be catastrophic. So I hope I hope we can take the lessons of working together for a cause because we did work together really quickly to 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 to, to create a really a really well you know a, a world renowned outcome. So and I've always believed that New Zealand the excuse we shouldn't use is oh, we're too small. What we do doesn't make a difference. I'd rather say let's do what's best and. Let the world, the rest of the world, look at us um, for solutions. So yeah, so I guess that's a waffly three, three things I would, I would, I would, I would I know, hope would would come out of this. But my yeah, my pessimistic side says says that maybe that won't happen. Fingers crossed, eh? I really like that response to because to the question that I was about to ask that you just answered, which was about what lessons we can take from this for the pandemic, and I really like that. Let's do what's best, because so often in terms of the climate or social justice or whatever it might be, we get the trotted out. We're only whatever it is, less than one percent of whatever it is and less than this percent of. And it, there's no point us doing anything. But I think this is a really good example of, of being an example. Yeah, that's right. yeah. I mean, and New Zealand has a great history, you know, when it comes to things like suffrage, you know, Kate Shepard had done nothing. Then, you know, there we go. And, and there's a plethora of examples where small actions can make phenomenally big differences. So. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nanei all having a big stay, beautiful for start at the University of Community Hope, this journey that we're all on together. Very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you. You are a triumph of nature's perfect thank you and we know for all of us we've had to go through so many different changes and shifts over the last several months and part of the process of any 
chain is all about how we deal with that transition, moving from one state of being, doing, seeing, feeling. And for us as a species, yes, we are very adaptable, but these transition times really challenge us. So how do we make our peace? We find that balance, feel comfortable and at home within ourselves when we are making transitions. Something I think that it's really important to make sure we do is to acknowledge transitions are hard for us. And this is just the way that we are as a species. When we feel comfortable in one state of doing, being, seeing, feeling, to move to another state can encourage us to feel unsafe, to feel uncomfortable, to feel unsettled. So it's important that we give ourselves lots of self-compassion, lots of support when we know that we are going to have to make these changes. Something else that I think it's important to do is call upon our creative faculties. Whenever we call upon our creative faculties, which are innate for us as species, it enables us to enshrine our experience. It enables us to enjoy drawing inspiration and a sense of the beauty, the meaning of an experience can really come to light, it can really come forward for us to celebrate when our creativity comes into play. So it may be that you have the opportunity to write about your experience or create some art around your experience or talk with someone about your experience but in a way that really engages you creatively. I think something else that it's really helpful to do is think back over our lives that our lives are in fact a series of transitions. Our physical body is constantly moving through a series of transitions which keeps us alive. And we are not consciously in control of these processes. Our body does it for us, which is so wonderful. Our beautiful, talented body. And in fact, we are quite capable of moving through so many different transitions and we have ever since we erupted into being. And in fact, this whole universe, this whole reality that we are sharing is based on a series of transitions that have been moved through this universe erupted into being. So transition is so much a part of how, how we experience life and who we are, and even though it can feel very challenging. So I really hope for you, whatever changes and transitions you are moving through at this time, you're feeling the support, the love of that infinite web of life, of which you are a part that surrounds you constantly, that has given you life and will continue to give you life, create more and more life after we have transitioned into another form. I really hope that you can enjoy giving yourself love and self-compassion when you are having to transition that might feel challenging and also that you can recognize this is happening for other people as well and to offer them that same compassion i also really hope you can enjoy and gain creative faculties your innate to really make all these experiences shine and dance and your minds on your hearts knowing and I look forward to talking to you. Thanks, Abkakitu. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Steve Walker. Steve, why do you think the Be Kind message has been so successful? Yeah, I mean, the, the kind message has been... I mean, doesn't kindness resonate with, with everybody? I mean, isn't that, shouldn't that be the most basic mantra we use in life is to be kind? We do that as mothers and fathers. We do that when we... you know. To me, it's, it under, underpins pretty much everything that I've tried to do, I mean, and and that comes for me from a context of not being 
um, I guess twofold for me. I, 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 I mentioned to you off air actually that I got bullied a lot at school. I was treated quite badly just because of my dad's job and we were always moving. So I was always the bullied one at school. So I wasn't treated that kindly by others. And also, I mean, having a half Italian, half Scottish mother, I, I, I challenge anyone to have a, a more impatient mix in a human being. So <laughs> as a kid, I was, um, you know, I was one of those kids that as soon as I interrupted, I was given, I, you know, thankfully times have changed. I could clip around the ear, as they'd say in Scotland, for interrupting and adults are adults and kids standing in the corner are not, you're just to be seen and not heard. So, and I, and I, I guess, because for me, I, I, was, I was born with a, a couple of medical conditions and later in life, actually, I, I, I had a, a serious medical condition back in about 94, which meant that I decided that my life was coming to an end and I, I, I trotted off traveling around the world for a year, which ten, turned into about 10 years. And when you, when you, tra when you travel the world as a, as a single person and you hitchhike your way around the world and you're constantly meeting people you don't know, and you've, you get massive, massive, massive kindness heaped upon you. Um, when you come back to your own country, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good time to pay it back. And that certainly for, a good example for me was actually hitch, hitchhiked through Syria back in about 94, most beautiful country in the world. And literally cars would be screeching to the side of the road, fighting over me to give me a lift. Every night for three months in Syria, I stayed at somebody's house. And every day I was fed, um, and every time I was given given a gift. And so, of course, when the Syrians were coming to five years ago, actually five years ago this month, because I've just signed the papers for my family to become citizens. Um, when when I heard the Red Cross was was involved with that, I literally walked my way down to the Red Cross with hundreds and hundreds of other volunteers and managed to get an interview. And I sat there and said, "I need to do this. I need to pay back the kindness that was heaped on me in that country." Um, and I probably will get tearful talking about this because often. Um, and it was, I was so grateful to be accepted. And the family I was given came here, like any family that comes from a war-torn background and had to live in awful conditions in Lebanon. A lot of people don't realize they don't just, they don't just come from where they are and land in a country like New Zealand that often spend many, many, many years in awful refugee camps in awful parts of the world where they get terribly. So when my family came here, they were completely traumatized and four young kids and the dad didn't speak English and they just, you know, it's just awful. Five years on, geez, four amazing kids who are stellar pupils at school. They speak Tereo, they speak Arabic, they speak English. They put me to shame. Um, the mother's got a job. The father's incredible. This is just incredible story of how kindness can be this circular thing that we're always doing. I think always remember that kindness has to be at the base of everything. I mean, truly it is. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have The Clash. Should I stay or should I go? Why this? Um, oh, gosh. Uh, I could have picked, I mean, I'm an 80s, 80s kid, I guess. <laughs> I could have picked a plethora of songs. I used to actually follow the Smiths around the UK. It's a little known fact about me. Um, but no, I just I loved, mu loved music back in the day. I used to go to gigs all the time, particularly in Edinburgh when I was sort of becoming a, a rebellious teenager. And I've seen, I've been fortunate enough to see so, so many live bands in my time. I even saw U2 as a support band. I couldn't even get my mates to go along to this band called U2. They never heard of them. So I saw U2 as a support band in front of 50 people. But um, of all the music I've seen over all the years, the best live band I ever saw was The Clash in the Edinburgh Playhouse 
Uh, my memory's terrible, but circa 82-ish, I guess, 81, 82, 83, it was magical. And uh, it was terrifying. <laughs> and there was a lot of sort of um, punks going crazy, but it was absolutely mind-blowing. And I just love everything The Clash has ever done. And I am absolutely bloody awful when it comes to karaoke. The only thing I can confidently do in karaoke is should I stay or should I go? I'm terrible, but I can do it. <laughs> That's why I like this song. To let me know Should I stay or should I go If you say that you are mine I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go It's always tease, tease, tease you're happy when I'm on my knees One day is fine and next is black So if you want me off your back Well come on and let me know Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? Decisions bugger me. If you don't want me, set me free. Exactly whom I'm supposed to be. Don't you know which clothes even fit me? Come on and let me know. Should I cool it or should I blow? that I guess uh, one of the many benefits of this program has been for me uh, being able to talk to people about my doctorate work which is a work in imagination and um, and I find myself um, thinking about this idea that you had to create this shared travel way for walkers and bikers to keep them off the main road and keep them safe so obviously that, that's come from 
you went for a drive and you saw something and you imagined the space. Can can you sort of walk walk us through that? How did that happen? Yeah, it wasn't so much going going for a for for a drive actually. It was just I guess when we. Uh, Ironically, I moved here in 2000, and my wife's a professor at the university, so I moved here 2002 with her to retire, actually. I said, oh, I'll just go and do the garden, and uh, got really bored in about two days, actually. I had no idea what I was doing, but I did, I've always liked cycling, and we got, got my bikes out of the container when it arrived, and said, I'll just cycle to Port Dramas. So I cycled along the state highway, and Sam will know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's actually gotten a bit better in terms of uh, the freight uh, movements, because a lot more of it's going on the train, but Literally, it was like a death ride along a relatively small state highway um, with um, obviously juxtaposed. And New Zealanders hate me saying this, but I'm going to say it, the bloody awful drivers. Um, and I think that's because it's a comfortable place to drive. I think if, if, if you put the same drivers in a big city, they, they change that pretty quickly. So I went for a drive. And then while I was, while I was um, concentrating and not dying, I was looking over the other side of the road, this wonderful stretch of space by the water and decided that um, it would be a good, good idea to maybe try and do something about it. So hit up a few people. They said you have to go to a public forum at council. And so I did go along to a public forum at council. And the Dunedin City Council is a very intimidating environment. The rooms makes you feel extremely um, yeah, scared stiff when you go in. So I stood up and pleaded my case. I didn't get a, a, I didn't get a really wonderful excite, uh, sorry, reaction. And one particular council who may or may not still be there really belittled me and um, with comments along the lines of who would ever use that part of town and why would it so i guess with my determined attitude that was sort of a red rag to a bull and over the next sort of year or two we formed a group which i ended up chairing and running called the harbour cycle network and that's when the, the stuff i really love doing happened the protest rides and the campaigning and the lobbying of the press and really engaging the locals um, and then being really strategic, so strategically working out what we had to do to get this thing done. And of course, if you go back to the early days of 2004, 5, 6, there's no way council or government was going to give us 50 million to complete something in a relatively low population area. So we strategized and said, well, let's just get a little bit built. So ironically, the very first uh, section, which is only a, about a kilometer or so, was financed by the Otago Regional Council, the Dunedin City Council. Um, Waka Katahi, so uh, New Zealand Transport Agency, and they they bickered over the last thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. And to the credit, it was Port Otago that came to the party and said, "Well, we'll give you the money." So our strategy was: as soon as they built one little bit, they were in essence sort of admitting that there was something needed there. So as soon as we got that first bit, we then then people started using it, and then the public themselves who were using it became our best advocates. We're saying. I live there and they've got this. Why can't we have it extended? Um, and then we kept lobbying and lobbying. And I just got, I read up on it and became very strategic about where one has to go for money, who one has to lobby. And we got the second section done, the third section. And then the section that's being built now, which is a $25 million project, has taken a long time because that's a lot of money. And again, strategically, we were probably, we were, we were sort of batting in the wrong area, which was the cycling cycling fund for the New Zealand Transport Agency. Um, but then we cleverly worked out that if we try and include some roadworks in it, we can go into their safety budget, which has eye-watering amounts of money, and that's ultimate. So that's a sort of potted story of what has been a lot of angst, but actually a lot of learning as well. It's, it's important to I've learned a lot out of it. And, and through that process, I, I got involved in politics. So 
in in the early days, somebody said, "Why don't you run for a community board?" Again, my reaction was, "It's a community board." And so I was on the community board for twelve years, six years as chair, and 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 now moving on from that, I've become a city councillor. So yeah, so that's I could I could speak for hours on, on this subject because it it's and I often do speak to other groups who want to try and get uh, traction on projects about certainly the don'ts. I think the don'ts are are often more more important than the do's. Um, yeah, particularly in New Zealand, there's definitely ways to get things done and i'm a great believer in anything you get done has to be a win-win-win so i've often been annoyingly quoted in the paper with saying it's a win-win-win but isn't that a great outcome isn't it <laughs> good if you can get something and sort of everybody everybody wins because getting a cycle way is a great win for car drivers it's a great win for cyclists it's a great win for the handicapped and your single mums and dads who push a, a, a pram it's a win all round. it's a win for the environment it's a win for everything it's a, certainly a win for our health because we're very loath in New Zealand to invest money uh, multi-generationally. And of course, my wife is a scientist in health and cognition. And the, the benefits that accrue to people through their health over decades is incalculable. But in a three-year political cycle, I understand why a lot of politicians don't give a damn. It's a real shame. Was that a you good said, enough answer? It is. You said determination. Do you have to, so you have a vision, but there must be a sense of maintaining that sense that we can make a difference. We need to hold on to that belief because the cycleway doesn't appear in the first you know, few minutes or the first, you know, don't, don't go to one council meeting and boom, there's a cycleway. People said no <laughs> hundreds of times. Yeah, only hundreds, thousands, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty, well, the seven guy's got a lot of time in his hands. It's a bad combination. And I had an Italian mother, so it's... No, but listen, it's, it's ultimately about, you know, it's, it's, about, it's about being strategic more than determined. And I have learned that. So the very first time I went to council, I literally did stand, stand there and do the things you definitely not do in New Zealand is get angry and bang the table. That is not a good way to progress things, probably anywhere, but definitely not in New Zealand. So it's about... What, being strategic is strategy is so important in everything we do and you've got to work out where you want to go how you're going to get there what do you need who do you need to speak to what do you need to do who do you inter- have to interact with to get there and I, it's a good question sam because i think you've been on this journey with me because i think you were one of the early people who, who backed me on this what what is fascinating now is the people who used to critique me so much for being slow and Steve Walker can't get this thing. I don't have purse strings to the Walker guitar. If I did, I'd, I'd open them up. So they're the people now that phone me up and go, oh, Steve, it's so frustrating. It just takes me 25 minutes to get to town now instead of 15. And I just find, I find I, I actually, it amuses me because I'm, I'm very thick-skinned. And I've, I, I, I actually could write a book on this about the the, the, the sort of, actually the joy of people the fact that they could on one hand moan about not getting something and when they do get it they're whinging about the methodology by which you know what we have to go through to get it so yeah but at the end of the day ironically i've just done a i've just done a photo shoot today with um the mayor and simon khan um because i don't know if you know but the wall through roseneath of the cycleway is going to have a simon khan design on it which um in the context of the early days 15 years ago when they were you know talking about not having any money is sort of fairly ironic and now we're going to have one of new zealand's premier artists um uh, adorning adorning a stretch through roseneath but there we go it's all good in the end it's a win-win-win 
We're all very bemused as to where the walkway is actually going over the top of those metal poles. Don't be bemused. As of next week, the, the concrete slats will go in next week. Um, they will be backfilled. The cycleway will be on top of that. So when you cycle over Roseneath, you'll be looking down on top of cars and logging trucks. It'll be exceptional. Let's have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so we shall have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, gosh. Um, successes, um, obviously, getting, getting elected is fantastic. Um, I mean, it's a horrible process running for, for, for council. It's very easy for people to critique, but actually the process of getting elected itself is terrible. Um, but I was very glad to get elected because I do think I can make a massive difference to this city. Um, I can, I'm continuously proud of my Syrian family. I mentioned that earlier. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted with not only being at the inception of the Dineen Wildlife Hospital, but continuing to chair the trust there. And uh, I guess one of my successes is getting that up and running and functional. It's not yet completely financially um, safe, but it's getting a lot better. Um, you could also include beating Aaron Hawkins, the mayor, in a race in the Papatawai Challenge a couple of years ago when um, somebody offered me $10,000 for char- for the wildlife hospital, actually, if I beat Aaron Hawkins. So I beat him by a long way with three broken ribs, and he's 20 <laughs> years my younger. There you go. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in the team. What's the superpower that's got you into the mansion? I hate those questions. Um, what got me into it? Well, I can't fly, so that's useless. I hope, so. I hope nobody else said they can fly. Um, gosh, um, I, am a, I, I think I'm a kind person. My wife tells me I'm a very kind person. I'm very, I'm very honest. I'm probably one of the few elected members in New Zealand who doesn't have any skeletons in his cupboard. I challenge anyone to drag a skeleton out of mine. Um, I'm very approachable. Um, I guess going back to my travels, a sense of humor. I mean, a sense of humor is is a very, very good power to have in your bag. And as I say, I've been to 104 countries in this planet, a lot of it doing rough traveling, hitchhiking, being in West Africa or, or South America or Central America. And I've been in some pretty budgy situations. And 100% of the time, I have gotten myself out of those situations by using humor. But also, and that's let's not overstate that because the problem times are zero p- 0.001% of the time because humans throughout the world are amazingly, amazingly beautiful people and we all desire the same things. So also humor is a way of getting people's guard down, making them feel comfortable with you and giving you access to things that will probably never happen. So I think my superpower is, my wife would probably say too many dad jokes, but even though they have children, but I, I, think, I think I've got a good sense of humor, but there we go. Talking of which, before we move on, when I heard, you've tr- trying to get me on the show for a while, I when have. I heard it was a blowing bubble, blowing bubbles, you do know I'm a West Ham fan. <laughs> do, you, do, you know, do you know what the theme song is of West Ham United? I do. It's I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles. Yeah. So when you originally invited me, I thought we were going to be talking about football. <laughs> so there we go. I'm disappointed. But move on. Sorry, Sam. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Oh, totally. Absolutely. Categorically, yes. I'm very proud of it. I was... First time I got arrested, I was dragged off in Edinburgh in the back of what they call in Scotland a meat wagon for uh, protesting against the very, very sad and unlawful imprisonment of Nelson Mandela. 
So it was my the first time I got dragged off by the police. Um, and I was also one of the student leaders at the University of East London, who um, we got we had a sit-in for about two weeks. It was to protest the closing down of the social sciences uh, back in back in the nineties. Actually, it was a second degree I did um, back in ninety uh, six. Um, and we and to this day I'll never forget. There was a bunch of about thirty of us sitting in a room, all pretty smelly and pretty hungry, and we'd run out of alcohol, which was very depressing after two weeks. And in through the windows came, honestly, about 50 coppers dressed in just riot gear, wielding, you know, truncheons and bands. And, and we just thought, this is absolutely ridiculous. And of course, a reminder to a privileged um, Pakia boy that if I'm getting treated like that, what it, what it must be like for people who don't have recourse to lawyers and the powers that be. So um, I am absolutely absolutely uh, an activist and i will always always stand up for what i believe in particularly particularly against racist particularly against misogynists and particularly against homophobic bullies bring them on because i will stand up against that shit thank you sorry so for what, swearing so what motivates you um again probably as I, I alluded to my medical conditions earlier so i was born badly and i've had some bad stuff i've got quite a few organs missing um, so I guess what motivates me is just the shortness of time, Sam. I mean, we're we're a, we're a, we're here a very short time, um, and there ain't much time to do to do much. So, um, yeah, say I get yeah gave up work back in the day. I've seen a lot, probably like you guys. I've seen a lot of family and friends pass, and um, certainly when my mother passed and my good friends pass, often many of the in the, the sort of last week, the words are just make the best of the time you got here. I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done that. And that was partly the reason I packed up and went traveling in 1994, thinking I was coming to an end and um, just decided to go and do some mad stuff. And unbelievably, I'm still here. It's ridiculous. Which um, we're very... No, I'm, motivated by the, I'm motivated by the lack of time. I mean that genuinely. And I say to everybody, just embrace it while you're here and, and don't, don't, sweat, don't sweat the crap, really. And tell people you love them. Please tell people you love them. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Challenge, gosh. What uh, opportunity, if you like? No, I guess, no, I guess. I mean, boring, boring answer would be, obviously, we're going to a critical time here in Otapoti, Dunedin, with the, the, the long-term plan, the 10-year plan, which, as you know, is when you get stuff financed, I think, looks like perhaps for once, and I'm, not, I'm going to be careful here and not critique um, previous councils who – you know, perhaps haven't been brave enough to take that brave step of investing um, in all the stuff that needs to be built. And we're not the only territorial authority that's in that position. And as I say to people, I'll look you in the eye and I'll back you for a new percent rate rise. But I will also tell you, if we do go for the 9.8% rate rise, we can do some of the stuff that needs to be done. And of course, as has happened in Wellington, when you get sewage starting to spurt out in the streets, I think that's a far worse situation than our proposal, which is basically, and I have to be careful here because the people at the bottom do find it tough, but for most of us, you included Sam, the that rate rise will be about the price of a flat white a week. So I think it's about time we were brave as governors, because that's what governors are elected to do, is to be brave and make the decisions in the best interest of everybody who resides. In and it looks like I think that's going to be a big challenge, but I hope me and my peers can get that across the line. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? How long have you got? <laughs> um, 
Um, something I always say to people is, so somebody's ranting at me, and I often look at them and go, so how would you feel if you were them? So I guess I'm a great believer in not critiquing too quickly until you've stood in the shoes of the person you're critiquing, because we all have philosophical beliefs and political beliefs, but often we don't take the time to stand in their shoes and see how they feel understand why they're perhaps saying something um and I, you know even even in local politics and i say this about my peers i don't think there's one dunedin city councillor who wakes up in the morning and yawns and goes how can i screw over the city today i think everybody wakes up with the best interests of the of the city at heart and does the best best of the city and listen we've talked about it earlier be kind try to smile as much as you can Tell people around you, seriously, tell people around you tomorrow that you love them because you don't know when that opportunity will, 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 will dissipate and pass, pass by. And I wear, so I'll close by saying, I wear every day I go to council, I have a badge on my, my jacket and it's very small writing and I like it being small writing because sometimes, sometimes misogynists and racists come up and look at my badge very close to me and they say, what does that say? My badge just says, very simply, be nice, not racist, etc. I love that badge. And it's a really simple message. What's difficult about that? That's right. my advice. Steve, um, there's a quote from Leonardo da Vinci that yeah. makes me think of you. It had long since come to my attention that people of accomplishment really sat back and let things happen to them. They went out and happened to things. Thank you for being a person that happens to things. No, no, Sam, thank you for those words as well. And honestly, thank you very much for inviting me on. I feel very privileged and um, I really admire the work you've done, Sam, over the years. And um, hopefully um, well, we can meet one day when you're, when you're down here if you're allowed to travel. I'll bring you, I'll bring you along, I'll take you to the cycle away and pull you at the cemetery gates. Keats and Yates are on your side. I dread it's sunny day, so I meet you at the cemetery gates. And Yates are on your side while on You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is the Smiths Cemetery Gates. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani, and in Port Chalmers, Steve Walker. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. A hundred times, maybe less, maybe more. If you must write pros and points, the words you use should be around. Don't plagiarise or take on With a big nose, who knows And trips you up and laughs when you fall Will trip you up and laugh when you fall You say London do dust Words which could only be your own And then produce the text from whence was ripped Some dizzy horror, 1804 it's sunny day, so let's go where we're happy And then meet you at the cemetery gates Oh, Keats and Yates are on your side I 
said it's sunny day, so let's go where we're wanted and I meet you at the cemetery gates. Keats and Yates are on your side, but you lose. His will the love of wild is a This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.